Okay, we'll open in our Bibles, please, to Acts chapter 9. We'll pick up where we left off. Acts chapter 9, we're going to be beginning in verse 10. It's interesting. We've been with Saul of Tarsus, right? We, we've watched one of the most miraculous conversion experiences, I think, in, in really all of Scripture. I mean, we could say that about every prophet, though, couldn't we? And I probably would look out and maybe look in your eyes and say, you could probably say that about your personal testimonies because many of you had a, a miraculous conversion where for most of your life you had been going down one path and road, maybe a wide way as the Bible would call it, and a wide path. And um, you had a certain experience in your life that you got to the end of yourself, you know? You, um, you began to realize there are things that happen that you couldn't reconcile mentally. There is an enemy that is a lion on a leash seeking who he can destroy. And as you fervently, you know, did all the right things, you were a good person, right? Bad things happen to good people. And you tried to reconcile all that, as we all do. Maybe there was somebody in here with a drug addiction. Maybe there's somebody in here that spent time in prison. I, I don't know all of your backgrounds. But we all got baggage. Is it fair to say it that way? We all got baggage because the Bible says we all have sin. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we had that experience. And some of us, it might have been profound where maybe we didn't, maybe it wasn't noonday as Saul of Tarsus where he literally had this experience where he and the men that were with him were brought to their knees as they looked up and saw a light shining brighter than the sun. If you can even imagine that. I, I actually can't. That's how bright it was. It would have been beyond, I think, my ability to comprehend how bright that was. So to the point of where it blinded him for three days. No hunger, no appetite, nothing. Just hearing Saul, Saul, why are you, right? He says it right here. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? See, God goes after his creation. He goes after humanity, that he can redeem them to make them children of God. And that's what he did for this man Saul, Tarsus, and he did that for all of you here. And why am I spending a minute or two in bringing this out this morning? Because every one of us can find our names written in that Lamb's book of life, if you're a born-again believer in Christ. And if your name's written in the Lamb Book of Life, this, this testimony of Acts, it's Acts of the Apostles, yes, but these apostles were something before they were apostles. They were disciples. You all are disciples of Christ, aren't you? I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ, aren't I? This is the continuation. Our lives today is the continuation of this very account. Have you ever thought about it that way? That when you read this book, you're not, just, you're not just reading a historical document with an account of this man Saul and this man Peter and Ananias and everybody else that we've been reading and will continue to read. And the Jerusalem Council as we get later on into the, into the later chapters of Acts. But the very forwarding, the, the very progression of this is you and I sitting here today. And all across the United States of America, all across the world, where people are walking into churches 
and sitting down with Bibles in their hands, knowing that this is the true and living word of God because they've watched lives transformed. They've watched God work in their lives in a very supernatural way. And in other countries, much more than ours, they've watched martyrdom, truly what it means to be a witness for Christ. Dying to yourself to the point of even even allowing your family, your wife, your children, your husband to be punished, persecuted, oppressed for the name of Jesus Christ. So what, you, what we're reading today isn't, we don't just go through this and say, wow, that was really interesting. We find our strength in this. We find our heritage in this. This is our marching orders. This is what it looks like to be a disciple. Our lives can align to the grid of scripture. And we can walk out of here encouraged knowing that yes, we might be facing difficulties. Yes, there might be you know, good being called evil, evil being called good, but it's nothing new. It was happening 2,000 years ago. And we know it has to happen. We've been through the book of Revelation together as a church. If you weren't here, it's in the, it's in the bookstore. You can grab it at the, at the sound booth. And you can see this is God's plan. And it unfolds just as he said it would. Not one jot or tittle is off. Not one promise. You can look at it from a statistical perspective. There's not one thing that's not 100% true within this word. This is everything. And he gave us this instruction manual. Do you realize there's no other religion that has an instruction manual like we have with prophetic prophecy in it that has come true time and time again? That the Bible substantiates itself by the very fact that the things that God said to his people, you and I, would unfold over generation after generation and every single time it happens just as he promised. There, other, there is no other written work in all of history that has anything like that. This book is God-breathed. So as we read this here this morning and we go through this, may we find our lives in this testimony. May we find our marching orders in this testimony. May we find our encouragement to keep on keeping on, not just occupying, but truly being about our Father's business. And with that, we'll pick up right in verse 10. Now, there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. Now, I think you know some of this account with me, and forgive me if you don't. At this point, Saul of Tarsus had been humbled. He was going into Damascus. He wanted to destroy all the Christians. He'd even been given uh, the, the marching orders by the high priest, basically giving an official document saying he could arrest men, women, children, the whole thing, and he could take them into custody, and then he could do what? He could kill them. And that's the official's orders of what had been given up to this point. And so as Saul's going down to Damascus, he has this Damascus Road experience. That's how we all even know that. It's kind of Christianese. If I say to you, a Damascus Road experience, you, many of you that are Christian here know what I'm talking about. It's our Christianese. And, 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 he, and he literally finds himself on the ground, can't see eventually, you know, why are you persecuting me? It's hard for you to kick against the goats. You know the truth, Saul. 
but you choose to continue to rebel against me. Why, Saul, are you doing this? I so desire relationship with you. You are going to be my chosen servant to reach all of the Gentiles. I will do it through you. And, and Saul, you're going to suffer for my name's sake. And I'm going to show you what you're going to have to suffer, Saul. Can you imagine that? Well, that's where we are in the account. So, so as we pick up at, at verse 10, Saul has already been taken to this house. He's blind at this point. He can't see. He hasn't eaten. And now this man, Ananias, who, by the way, this disciple, he's of no notable title. We'll see nothing about him as we read the rest of the accounts. We will not hear of this man again. Now, this isn't the Ananias of Ananias and Sapphira, right? You with me on that? This is a different Ananias. But I, I can't help but thinking, I can't wait to meet this man in heaven. His name is listed in this one account, and to see that he had the privilege of leading Saul of Tarsus, who we know by his Roman name, Paul, one of the greatest evangelists in all of Scripture, to Jesus Christ. And the, the work that Paul did through his three, you know, trips and journeys to the Middle East through, you know, the area of modern-day Turkey, Asia Minor. This man, and then he's off the scene. How many of you in this room are Ananiases? You may be looking at your life going, where do I fit in? I'm not a Paul. Maybe I'm not even a Barnabas. I'm not a huge encourager that way. But the Lord is giving me this, and this is my ministry. What I do right here, this is the ministry God's given me. This is what he's given me. Well, I want you to know God thought it important enough to list this man's name out that we would all know about him. And I would suggest to you there's been a million more. As A.W. Tozer says, whenever we see God raise up a man, a prophet, and the prophet's been raised up among us, we look at him, a Billy Graham, a Franklin Graham, Pastor Chuck Smith, a Bill Galton, you know, and we think, Lord, what are we going to do? God, this, these men are like, you know, do they even put their pants on the same way we do? Or I think of all the ladies, you know, you go back to the early martyrs, the women, Perpetua, you want to study a woman that's a godly woman that literally had an infant when she was about to be martyred. And she stood in the gap. And I've read that account of Perpetua, and I've thought of what a strong woman, what a strong man. And that's, it's an encouragement to me to keep going, but, but I think of these Ananiases in our lives. Maybe you're in an Ananias here. And I look at it and I go, look at all the great things God's doing for you. And how you're going to be used in that one special place, a unique calling, just as Ananias has this unique calling. And how your whole life, all of the struggle, all the tribulation was worth it for Saul of Tarsus to come to salvation. And we don't even know the Saul of Tarsus is in our lives, do we? We're given the privilege in this account to see this man who will become Paul. But did Ananias know that? 
Did Ananias see what Paul would become? Hmm. Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias, and he said, here I am, Lord. Isn't that beautiful? What a great calling here. Unique assignment, right? And what's how's he respond? Here I am. How about you? If God reached out to you verbally or through a vision and said, hey, how you doing? I don't know about you. I'd, you know, kind of take a double step back, wouldn't you? Maybe a little alarmed. It doesn't happen to me every day. I'm sure it didn't happen to Ananias every day. But can you imagine this, this assignment? I mean, he's going to receive here. I mean, it's through a vision. He says, I, I want you to go to this man who is vehemently, zealously destroying your brothers and sisters because of the way of Jesus. And, and he's expecting you now. He's praying, and I want you to go see him. Can you imagine Ananias' look on his face? What? Where do you want me to go? That's a double take, right? It's one of those, are you, Lord, did I, am I hearing you correctly? But notice with me how God works. Because we're all Ananiases, aren't we? We all are Ananiases. We would think all those same thoughts. Lord, this is dangerous. Lord, this is, this is scary. I, are you sure, God, this is what you want us to do? But, but this is how God works. He knows sometimes our need for confirmation. And what is he going to do? In verse 12 here, well, actually, in verse 11, he's going to give us verse 11 and 12. He's going to give Ananias very specific list of things that he's going to then use for Ananias to confirm it's the will of God. And he does that same thing for you and I. When God calls you to something, now I'm not saying, you know, that there's some in the church that have this Holy Spirit radar thing. So when I say that, I mean the special intent is that none of us have, but they hear somehow from God in a very unique kind of way, and I'm not talking about being spirit-led. Please understand the difference here. I'm having a little bit of fun as I'm saying this. But those that turn around and they never confirm anything in the word of God or they never receive from the word of God, but every day they hear the voice and it's, it's, it's got to be the Lord. And I always say to them, what has God shown you? Let's write it down and then let's watch God confirm it. Well, why do we say that? Because we see that's exactly what God does here. So it's, it's kind of almost a, a protection. You know, God says, test the spirits. So the Lord said to him, arise and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he's praying. And in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight or restore his sight, you might say. Now, if you looked at this, I mean, circle these. I mean, one, he's on a street called Straight. He's at Judas's house. And <clears throat> we're told what he's going to be doing. He's going to be praying. Pretty specific list, right? Now, Ananias didn't do what you and I would do. What would we do? Pick up our cell phones, call not, you know, whatever the local directory, 411, or I don't even know if we use that anymore, whatever it used to be. We'd look up Judas's house. We'd look to see what road he lives on. Okay, he's on straight road. All right, two for two. And then we'd call up Judas because we're, 
efficient, I'll use that term, we're efficient, we wouldn't just walk over or get in our car and go, what would we do? We'd efficiently call and say, do you have a man by the name of Saul of Tarsus? Yeah, yeah, I do. Actually, he's staying with me. Can you look at him and tell me what he's doing right at this moment? Well, actually, he's got his hands in his lap, and he's praying at this very moment. Okay, thanks a lot, right? We'd hang up the phone, and then what would we do? We'd go, right? Well, no, we'd come back. God, are you sure you, <laughs> that's what we do. We'd come back and go, God, is this really you? Are you sure you want us to do this? Right, I'd laugh because it's, it's faith to faith. We're working, God's building our faith as we go through these things. And, and we have to laugh at it, otherwise we'd cry all the time, right? Because <laughs> God uses these moments of trials to draw out our faith, to show us our faith, that we would examine ourselves. It's not that God gives us faith in the trial, Right? He says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. That's where faith comes from. What the trial is, is a trial is a good examination of where you are in your faith walk. God uses that to show us, how are we doing? And if we would examine ourselves that way and go to God and say, Lord, I need help with my unbelief. Or Lord, I need help with this. God is faithful and just to answer that way. He likes to give good gifts to his children. So, He's got this unique assignment, and he's got this very detailed confirmation here. And, and I think it's awesome that God gives confirmation of steps in his will. Many times he'll, he'll give you all a calling or a unique calling that way, where there's somebody in need, and he'll say, you know, go and help them. And, and you're like, Lord, is that really you? And God, can you show me in your word, you know, confirm it in your word, Lord, or, or by your spirit, confirm it on my heart. And, and God will proceed to do that. And then you'll, and he'll, he may give you one thing. And then what's he doing? He's waiting for you to do what? He's waiting for you to step in faith. And then he reveals the next step and the next step. And I know he works that way in my life. I don't know about your life, but I know he works that way in my life because he knows I'm a scaredy cat. And I probably wouldn't step all those other steps if I knew exactly what God's big plan was. I'd probably be going, what? What do you want me to do? But he's gentle. And it's progressive. It's beautiful how God works that way. He's so gentle. Let's look at verse 13. Then Ananias answered, and this is fair. I mean, let's not beat up on Ananias here. I know as I was going through this, I thought, oh, Ananias... But you know what? I could easily say, oh, Matt, come on now. And any of us could probably put our names in here. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he's done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has the authority from the chief priest to blind, or bind all who call in your name. <laughs> so Ananias, I love this, goes back to God and recounts to God, hey, you know, I've heard about this man, Ananias, and I just want to confirm we're talking about the same guy here. I mean, this, this, is, this guy Saul's very dangerous, God. You know who we're dealing with here, right? He's very, very dangerous. You know he kills Christians, God. You know, I just, I just and let me get this straight. You want me to go to him. Just, just want to get that out there. Just want to make sure I got it, I got it right. Now, you know, we laugh, and I see some of you smiling. But you have to remember that Ananias being part of the way of cry of Jesus that way, that this was not uncommon to truly be dangerous. And you might be saying, what do I mean? Well, in the first century, it was very common. One of the ploys or attacks that was used against the early church, if you go back and study early church history, one of the ploys would be is that they would have a man pretend conversion. 
okay? So he faked conversion, and what he did is he would try to get access to the inner workings of the group, only to destroy and bring division. A lot of times we know the term, how many of you have heard the term Judaizers? Anybody heard the term Judaizers here? They would follow along after where Paul was planting, and then they would try to heap on additional requirements or introduce the law to them, right? Bringing the law back in when clearly the Jerusalem Council had met and said, no, that's not needed. You know, keep yourself from anything uh, sacrificed uh, to blood and strangled, right? Anything sacrificed to an idol, that was one of the things Jerusalem Council gave, and we'll study it in more detail when we get there. And what was the other one? Keep yourself from sexual immorality. Those were the two big things that the Jerusalem Council fed, but, but they said, you know, this idea of circumcision, this idea of everything else like that, he says, that's not a requirement for you to be saved. That's not a requirement that way. But these Judaizers would go back around and they would whisper in the ears after God, you know, started to open hearts there and started to draw people into them through the working of Paul or, or other men like that. So it's not uncommon. So when we look at Ananias, you know, we, his, his concerns are sort of real. I mean, it happens even today all around the world. I, I dare not talk to you about what's going on in Pakistan and the demonic activity there right now. We had a brother come in a year ago, and uh, he was from Pakistan, and he shared a little bit about what was going on over there. And he was talking about how they would, you know, pretend and they'll come in and the next thing you know, they'll assassinate the pastor or the senior pastor, you know, the family and everybody else like that. And then in hopes that they'll break up the house churches that way. So they're still, you know, they're still doing the same demonic activity today. It's horrible. This is not something, just because we don't see it every day doesn't mean that the ploy isn't there. And don't think the evil one doesn't bring division within churches. How many of you, unfortunately, have been part of a church where you see division being clearly brought in? And, and a lot of times in ministry, we call it dragons. You see these dragons that are brought in that way, and you can see it, and, and, and God gives usually the leadership supernatural kind of discernment, and you step back and start praying, Lord, how do you want me to handle this? This is not of you, right? So, I mean, again, Maybe Ananias was contemplating this very thing, right? I mean, we don't know for sure, but it, it, it's pretty evident here. He's cautious. I mean, I think we see that. So what, what does God do to handle the, the cautiousness? He had already given him confirmation. And that's what he does for you and I. When God calls you to, first of all, Matthew 28, 19, you know you all have the great commission. But God will also give you in your life unique callings unique opportunities to serve him. And he'll bring those forward to you and give you those opportunities to serve him. Special assignments, I like to call them. And as he gives you those special assignments, he'll give you revelation of what that's to look like. Do this, Ananias. And then you have every right to go back and say, Lord, just like Ananias did, and he'll give you confirmation. This is what it's going to look like. And as he unfolds the confirmation, that's not you putting a fleece out. I've heard it a lot of times where people say, gosh, you know, Pastor, I feel like I'm not spiritual. I, th I feel like my faith isn't deep enough. That's a lie from the pit of hell. We see it time and again with Paul, with Ananias, with other men in the Bible. There's nothing wrong with going back to God and going, God, is this your will? Do I have it right, Lord? Is this what I'm supposed to do? You shouldn't feel horrible about that. That's, that's a responsibility. You're testing the spirits to make sure it's, it's from the Lord Jesus Christ. And so that's what he does, and he confirms it for him. And, and I'm sorry if I'm belaboring this point, but it's, it's one of the ways that I see Christians sort of getting, you know, 
legalistic with themselves about. They, they, they make them, they heap these things on themselves and they start to feel real bad about themselves and they start to get down and get, you know, like these trips being laid on them. And I just want to set anybody free here this morning that's struggling with that, that God's grace covers all of that. And he's not looking for anybody to, to wander aimlessly like that. He wants to free you. That's, that's what he wants to do. He wants to set the captives free and have you just take that off and say, Lord, I'm going to serve you however you want, whatever you want to do, but God, just confirm it so I know. And if I'm not in the right place, Lord, just gently move me to your will. Gently move me to the right path. Isn't that beautiful? That's God's design. We can all do that, can't we? We can do that. We don't have a God that's trying to trip us up or wants to, you know, two by four us in the head. But there's a lot of people in a lot of churches out there that they're trying to, you know, you're not healed. Well, you must not be faithful enough. You must not have enough faith. Again, those are lies. You don't find that in scripture anywhere. Those are lies. So, Let's look at verse 16. But the Lord said to him, go. So this is God's answer. Ananias comes back and says, but this man is dangerous. And the Lord comes back and says, one simple word. Go, Ananias. For he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. Now, how many of you read that this morning here and are like, I like that. I'm going to be before kings, you know, people group maybe even my own people, the Jews that way, right? That's what he said. He's Jewish at the time. You know, this is great. I love this idea, right? He doesn't rationalize with Ananias. He just says, Saul of Tarsus, he's mine. He's mine. I can only imagine, and this is my wit, forgive me. If you were there and Ananias is there, I'd be sitting there going, that's a funny way of showing it. Killing Christians out there, he's yours. That's a funny way of showing he's one of yours, Right? That could be our wit. Can't our wit do that sometimes? Kind of come back at God that way? We got to be careful about that. I got to be careful about that. But, but again, I, I think this is grace here. He's, I think what God is doing is God is showing Ananias the finished work. He's saying, this man is mine. When, when I'm done with him, you wait until you see Paul. You won't even recognize him as Saul of Tarsus anymore. See, God was giving a glimpse to what he sees. And, and I want to encourage you all this morning with that. That's the same in your life right now. God isn't looking at your failures or your shortcomings or things that you might be tripping up along the way. God is seeing the perfected work of every one of your lives already because he is the author and finisher of that work in your life. Does that not give you great hope and encouragement? Knowing that, what wouldn't you do for God? What wouldn't you try for God? Most of us are afraid of failing, aren't we? I mean, deep down in our hearts, aren't we afraid of failing? But how can you fail when you're in the will of God? Because through your failures, he redirects you anyway onto the right path in his will. Because he ultimately sees it. Even though we haven't caught on yet, God has already said, it is so. Notice with me, God didn't say, well, if, you know, Saul decides to do this or that, he says, no. He says, he is mine. He is a chosen vessel of mine. It is done. It's done. It's going to happen. And he has done that same thing for you. 
You are his. It's going to happen. The things that he is going to finish in your lives, the, thing, the doors, the, it's going to happen. There's nothing to doubt in it. It's simply a matter of, Lord, show me what you want. Where do you want me to be, Lord? How do you want me to do it? And then I'll follow you. It's, I, I've got no problems, Lord. I, I want to be obedient, right? It's beautiful when we get that out of the way because then we're not distracted and we get to see the real character of God and we can't allow some man or somebody to misdirect us here because God is showing us how he, how he does it. It's a gentle redirection. So, you know, he tells us kind of, he tells Ananias, look, this is what it's going to look like. And again, I think everybody wants this experience where we would say, well, to bear my name before Gentiles and kings, you know, the children of Israel. But we forget to read the next verse. We got to read the next verse there. But before we read that next verse, I want to ask every one of you this morning, I want to challenge you all in a loving way. Does God have a specific assignment for you? Is God calling you Ananias? And he's showing you something. And now he's saying, go, do. Not to be hearers only, but to be doers of the word. That's between you and the Lord. But allow this to be a marching call. Allow this to be a marching call in your life that if there's something God has been calling you and you have been wrestling Allow God to confirm this in your heart. And I have to tell you, with all you here this morning, I have a hard time believing there's not at least one person here this morning that God hasn't shown them something. And maybe they've been uncertain about what to do. Or maybe they've been uncertain about when they're to do it. And God is saying, go. Do. And he's given you steps of confirmation and he's started to show you those things coming, you know, forward and you're looking at it and you're going, Lord, wow. And maybe even right now, all of a sudden, he's bringing a recollection in your minds of something he's shown you. And then even the confirmation steps, he's bringing it back for you right now this morning. And you're thinking about it. And all of a sudden, the light bulb clicks or goes on. I guess the light bulbs never click. But the light bulb goes on, Right? and you start to get it. Don't run away. Arise and go. It's a special assignment. Now, what do you need to be prepared for that special assignment? Let's, let's be prepared. That's what we do with equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, Ephesians 4, right? That's what we do as a church. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. Nobody likes that. Everybody wants the fire insurance, the savior. Nobody wants the suffering, right? It's real, it's hard. I mean, but that's why God's given us hymns like trust and obey, there's no other way to be happy in Jesus. We must do what? Trust and obey. You know, we also need to be careful, and it's something the Lord brought to my mind. I don't know about if you can relate to this at all. But often God, like he said, arise and go. I can sit back and go, God, 
but what about this? And he says, I've confirmed it for you. And, and, and look, I don't want you to think your pastor's, you know, lacking faith or, you know, walking in sin that way all the time. I just want you to understand, I, I struggle, like we all struggle. And I want you to understand that, that how I try to approach this is I try to live it out according to scripture. I don't pretend I've arrived. I don't think any of us here have arrived. We're all working this out together to encourage, to equip for the perfection of Jesus Christ. Together, we are family. Sometimes, you know, Jesus said that that friendship with a brother is thicker than blood. It says it in scripture. Just think about that for a minute. So, we have to be careful not to repeat ourselves because what we can end up doing is saying, God, I'm a part of your story and I get that. You're unfolding this and I can see this revelation happen. But Lord, you're going to be part of my story. How often do we try to do that? Where we say, God, you know, we've got to be careful, Lord. I don't see this going this way and... And I'm not agreeing with you, therefore, you know, this is the way I think it's supposed to be, in, you know, unfolding, and this is, this is how I see it going. And we try to make God part of our story instead of us being a part of his. Amen? I think of how glorious witnessing to kings is, but suffering. Turn in your Bibles to 2 Timothy 3. Lord just brought this passage to my mind here. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. So I have a question for you. Is this suffering only for Saul of Tarsus? Or should we maybe expect suffering? Well, let's leave. What's the Bible say, right? That's where, we, that's where our information comes from. Look at verse chapter, 2 Timothy chapter 3, look at verse 12. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Did it say some? Did it say many? What did it say there with me? All. And yet there are men that stand up and tell you that if bad things are happening to you, that you lack faith. It's a faith and prosperity movement. Maybe you've heard of it. It's a lie, again, from the pit of hell. There's nothing that promised that a believer in Christ would have a happy, easy-go life. God promised he would never leave us nor forsake us. That whatever circumstance we're going through, God would be in it with us. And he would always provide a way out. That's his promise. And we need to hold on to that. And Ananias went his way and entered the house and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, what a response. I mean, my. The Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you came has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately there fell from the eyes something like scales and he received his sight at once and he arose and was baptized. Now, Ananias went as he was called. He arrived there. He sees Saul just as God said he would. He was praying. 
God confirmed every single step. Saul, or Ananias, excuse me, walked in every single step and it, he was being faithful and obedient, okay? And he gets there and you gotta imagine he's nervous. Even though God's confirmed every step, he gets there. What am I gonna say to this man? You know, what am I gonna do? This man could, you know, have me arrested and killed, my family, my wife, my children. I mean, this is real. What am I gonna say to this man? And what does he say out of his mouth? Brother Saul. Brother Saul. That had to be music to Saul's ears. After three days of brokenness and emptiness, of not knowing where he belonged, everything that he thought he was doing in the zeal of the Lord by persecuting Christians, and God meets him, Jesus face to face that way audibly and tells him, why are you persecuting me? Everything was turned upside down. Everything for Saul of Tarsus was turned upside down. He didn't know what was up and down anymore. He had thought he was doing the right thing. He had thought he was serving the Lord. You see, what we see here is the right heart. Ananias embraced God's call. And because he did that, God gave him the resources he need. He needed to carry out his mission through the Holy Spirit. And what is the greatest of all these, Paul tells us. Where do you think Paul began to understand this from? From this passage here. What is the greatest? He says, those that speak in tongues, I tell you. Those that have revelation. Those that, the word of knowledge, discernment. He goes through all the gifts in Corinthians. He says, but if you don't have love, you have nothing. What do you think Paul could understand that? Was right in this room when he was broken and empty and he had nobody. He had thought even maybe God forsaked him at that point. And this man walks in, the man that he's been trying to eradicate kill, destroy. He had come to Damascus to destroy that family, any Christian family in Damascus. The very family that he came to destroy, the man comes in and says, brother, beloved. Can you imagine? Why do you think God's word says a gentle answer turns away wrath? Why do you think God tells us that, that it's the compassion of Jesus Christ? We can be completely right doctrinally in everything that we're saying and doing out of the word of God, but if we don't have love, and believe you in me, I am convicted of this because I can get up here and I can preach on the statutes and the commandments of God. I can go through and look at other churches and say, that's wrong, this is wrong. But if I have not love and compassion, I have nothing. This is where it begins. This man's conversion experience begins here. And it begins with love. So what do you need if you're going to reach somebody for Jesus Christ? Do you need all the truth? Hey, Saul of Tarsus knew more about the Old Testament than Ananias ever could have. 
He studied under Gamaliel. He had studied the Hebrew since his very early young age. He understood it all. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was already in the Sanhedrin, 70 plus one. That's like our Supreme Court. What more could Paul or Saul of Tarsus have accomplished doctrinally or, or even educationally? He was the man's man of reputation. But what did he need? Love, compassion, the ability to see and feel and experience what other people are feeling, seeing, and experiencing. That's where it begins. And I want to tell you that you all have a specific calling here this morning. And that's to love those that God has placed you in the presence of. Your families, your friends. And I don't just mean love as in phileo, if you know the Greek. I'm talking about agape love. Unconditional, unmerited, true grace-filled love. That's what we see here. That's beautiful. You see, at this moment, God sent another human being as a testimony of how he not only could change Ananias' heart, because he had to, didn't he? What did Ananias say? You want me to go to this guy? This is the guy, this is dangerous. This is the guy that's gonna kill us. He wants to destroy us. If somebody wanted to destroy your family, your children, could you look at them with true agape love? That's what it means when Jesus Christ says, love your neighbor. I think we're all probably realizing how sober that is this morning, isn't it? Love your neighbor and what that looks like. Biblically. Biblically. And he sent another human to do it. He sent an imperfect human like you and me to demonstrate the greatest love that all of humanity could experience. Jesus Christ. And that's what he does for us. Go love that man Saul. Go love the Saul of Tarsus in your life. And because of this, I believe this is the moment of where he's born again. 2 Corinthians 5.17, right? New creation. That's why he could call him brother. Because he was a brother. He was a new creation. Old things had passed away. All things, behold, had become new. What a great privilege. And we'll close with verse 19 here. So when he received food, he was strengthened. Then Saul spent some days with the disciples in Damascus there. So what did he do? And Ananias didn't turn around and just say, hey, that's it. I did what I was supposed to do. God, I'm heading back home. No, what did he do? He provided for Saul's physical needs. He had to be strengthened. Remember, he hadn't eaten for three days and three you know, nights that way. This is important. Sometimes one of the most spiritual things you can do for a person is feed them. 
give them a drink of water. One of the most spiritual things you can do. Now, it's important to also know, though, that where there's an error of caution I have to give you on this because absolutely that's important. But you can be the best fed and you can even be the best clothed. But without the word of God, you could be comfortable and being led right to the pit of hell. That's important too. We need to have the balance there, spiritual balance. Just like Jesus, he was the fullness of truth and the fullness of grace. Love. So what's our spiritual food? If I had to ask everybody here, the word of God. If we're not in the word of God daily reading, reading to our wives, reading to our husbands, reading to our family, reading to our children, we too can become spiritually emaciated, right? Weak. Just like we can get run down. Our immune systems fail, right? We get sick. We find ourselves on our back. As much as I don't like this latest plague, this flu here that just went, there were sweet times on my back with the Lord. Because where was I running? All the things in ministry that I want to do. Oh, I got to help this person. I have this counseling. I have the, you know, all the things that we do. I couldn't do any of it. I was right on my back. And the Lord can look me right in the eyes and go, how are we doing? Now, I'm not wishing that on any of you that way. And I'm pretty sure you're happy about that. But when's the last time you got alone with the Lord in your prayer closet and asked him to show you your heart? Asked him to give you that specific assignment? Asked him to make sure he gave you his love that you could turn, give to others? More is caught than taught. And that's the word of the Lord.